In the previous episode... When I start to look into healing, I came across all these people who wanted to use the, the next medication or device or even a supplement to detoxify mm -hmm. their brain. And I said, well, wait a second, isn't the brain supposed to do that on its own? Mm -hmm. And what I realized was there's actually this system of brain detoxification called the glymphatic system, which is kind of a nod to the lymphatic system and the rest of the body, as well as the glial cells that are so critical as part of the brain cells in this process. And somewhere between 70 to 90% of all of our brain detoxification is occurring in sleep. Welcome to Reinvent Healthcare, a podcast for health and wellness practitioners passionately committed to transforming our current broken disease-focused system. Your host, Dr. Rita Marie Los Calzo, is devoted to helping you get results with complex health challenges like autoimmune, hormonal imbalances, and chronic health challenges caused by nutritional and lifestyle-induced imbalances. Here's your host, Dr. Rita Marie. Welcome back to Reinvent Healthcare, the podcast for health and wellness practitioners who are passionate about making a difference. Today, we're continuing the discussion of a very important topic. If you're a health practitioner who really wants to help people to get well, not to just cover up symptoms, not to just apply protocols, whether nutritional or pharmaceutical, we are doing a live event that's just right for you. It's called Functional Nutrigenomics in Clinical Practice. And it's all about how you can learn the genetic testing you can do with people to help you to personalize their diet and lifestyle plans. And when you put that together with your typical really great functional history and lab testing, you're gonna have all you need. So join us for an online virtual event that you can attend from anywhere. It's June 2nd to 4th, 2023. And you can get there by going to nesliveconference.com. That's nesliveconference.com. And we'll also put the link on the show notes page. Sleep. Our very special guest today is Ann Johnson, and she has a passion for studying sleep and finding novel ways in supporting people to get more of it. She's the author of DNA of Hope and the founder of Wild Heart Wellness, where she helps people to change the way they age. Sounds good, right? She focuses on sleep, gut health, brain health, and has created a unique approach that she calls the circadian compass. As a registered nurse and functional medicine practitioner, she uses the latest scientific research. And when I say the latest scientific research, I mean the latest because she's constantly combing the literature. And she studies genomics, molecular biology, combined with practical functional medicine principles and cutting edge work in mental and emotional fitness to create personalized health plans for clients of any age and fitness level. So welcome, Anne. Welcome to you, too, and thank you for that nice introduction. I hope I can live up to it. Oh, of course you can, <laughs> um, and more. I have loved talking to you because you're always geeking out on the latest research. That's right. And, right? And that's something that you can share. Our audience is health and wellness practitioners. Like they're, they're our kindred spirits, so we can geek out as much as we want. Good. But I want you to start with... You have a unique name for your business, Wild Heart Wellness. So what does that mean? And how did you come to call your business that? 
Well, my dad's nickname for me was Wild Heart. And I was born one of three of 12, meaning that, that our parents had nine children that did not make it to life. And my dad found as an engineer and also working in nutrition, he found the answer. So that's in my book. So I'm not, I'm just giving you the short story. So that means I've got nine hearts beating inside of me. So now I have nine wild, wild hearts beating inside of me. So my passion is nine times, nine to the 10th power. How's that? Whoa. So that's really meaningful. And that really touches me and how you, you're bringing that family history, so to speak, into every day with the naming of your business and with the lives that you're touching and you're touching a lot of lives. So let me ask you this, circadian compass, right? That's a unique term. Most of our listeners haven't heard that before. Tell us more about the circadian compass and how it's related to sleep. Sure. I have been studying sleep for over 11 years now with my clients, and the research always talks about clocks. And I know Ann Landers used to say, she was an information-giving person, and she would say that a clock is right twice a day. And from that, I understand that a clock can be set to whatever we want it to. But with all respect to all the researchers using clocks, I want to give them the respect that they deserve. But when we teach the public, I really think we need to go to a different type of thing. And therefore, as the sun rises in the morning with the geophysical properties of the earth and the earth rotation, if we follow that and sleep at night, then we are following the rotation that matches our genes, matches our DNA, and matches our metabolism inside. And it will show epigenetically on our gene tags if we're doing that. And if we are doing that, we have less illness. So I use the term circadian compass because it's actually a sun compass inside of us. And it brings you a whole new level of what it means to use a compass as a guide for your sleep and to take the next step and follow the sun, which is circadian law number one. Yeah, a lot of people are talking about the circadian rhythm these days, and we should, ideally, we should be getting up at sunrise and going to bed at sunset. Our busy lives and different locations and responsibilities don't always allow that, but are you saying that we really should come as close as possible to that? As close as possible and to try to be consistent. And I understand our night workers can't do that. Yet on the nurses' study, they are showing multiple illnesses that are directly related to their circadian genes that are low-functioning, secondary to being in chaos, secondary to not following the sun. 30% of our U.S. is night shift workers, so there should be some compromise there to make it easier for them with lights, et cetera, but that's another part. But for those that are day workers, we're trying to get people to focus, become aware, and believe that sleep is not optional because we need sleep in order to have the best wellness and to age fiercely. So yes, and so many more people are becoming aware of sleep and people like me and you and I've had these discussions before that I went for a long time thinking sleep was optional because I lived so well during the day and I lived a clean, non-toxic life and I ate really well and I exercised and I meditated. But in fact, sleep is not optional. And there's so many things that happen 
when we don't get good sleep. So I want to just kind of discuss, you talk a lot about the brain and the gut and how they're affected by sleep and how sleep affects them. Can we talk a little bit about, let's just start with the gut. The gut is extremely important because it feeds our sleep. So if we are not digesting nutrients, we will not have good sleep. We digest the nutrients for energy for sleep at breakfast. So we need to eat like a king or a queen at breakfast and slow down in the afternoon and the early evening. So if we want good energy for sleep, that's what we need to do. So if the gut is important for not only eating, for chewing the food, for swallowing, and after that it's all automatic, but if your stomach doesn't have enough hydrochloric acid and your nails have a lot of ridges in them, or if you have rosacea, take a note from that. Your body is talking to you. And those things are showing low hydrochloric acid, which also means B12 is low. Now, B12 has about 90,000 things that it does. And I asked my clients if I could enumerate them all. So I probably won't enumerate them now because we'll be here for a long, long time. <laughs> but then you go on the small intestine, a tennis size court area, which has so much in it. And the new find that I found just the other day is that the melatonin that is produced by the gut microbiome is about 400 times as much as we have from the pineal gland in the brain. The gut melatonin is important for turning on things like the feeding and other things. And it's also an antioxidant, et cetera. So it's a huge amount. And that's fascinating that we have more melatonin in the gut than we do in the pineal gland, coming out of the pineal gland. And this could be day, night shifts. So it's not so much of a circadian there. It's more of an antioxidant, anti-tumor there. And then if you go down to the colon, the same thing. And if you have stress, you can turn on your glucocorticoids, your cortisol, your glucocorticoids, corticoids, and that increases illness and colitis and a whole bunch of other things in the colon. So what we want to do is reverse stress, boost your microbiome, your sum total of critters within your body to increase your metabolism. And that takes certain dials because a swift change in food will give you a swift change in your bacteria, which is not good. They don't like to be changing food. They like similarities and little changes, but not massive changes. So we've got to get in touch with our microbiome and our gut, learning the symptoms and the signals that are coming from it so that we understand what to do for the gut because the gut feeds the brain. The brain is so incredibly important because the astrocytes, which are right next to our blood-brain barrier, they kind of wrap around it, and the microglia are right there by it. Those two cells are very important in vascularization, like macrophages, they do many things. But in less sleep, here is the image. If you have a group of grapes on the stems, if you take those grapes and pretend this is a neuron with a lot of synapses, if you take hold of those grapes and strip them and you end up with just the grape stems, that's what it's like with no sleep. You are stripping your neurons because the astrocytes do that. They overreact, they get inflamed, they strip the neurons, the synapses go away, your microglia get impacted, and you end up with neurons and your neuroprotection 
goes away. It's so incredibly important that the astrocytes are maintained in your body by good sleep. Follow the compass. Got it. Okay. So that, that's a fascinating analogy with the grapes, right? So what does sleep do to those? Like, is it just the part of the repair mechanism? We know that there's a lot of repair and growth and all this stuff that happens during sleep. Is that part of that process? Is that part of why we have so many neurologic problems and focus problems and memory problems with people that don't get enough sleep? Yes. They're uh, figuring out that the astrocytes are extremely important for sleep and maintaining them is like a garden. So to maintain them, we need to sleep well. We need to get our deep sleep and our parasympathetic sleep. So when I'm asked what sleep is, I just enumerate it as S-L-E-E-P. S would be sympathetic. When you lay down, you should be resting for about half an hour before you go to sleep with no screens. You put your large mask on so that you train your body to sleep. And hopefully that's before 11 p.m. And then you go into the next step where you start, that's the S, is sympathetic. Now, you lie down. You have to lie down. That's the L. The reason is you have glymphatics that drain your brain mush, beta amyloid, at night. They are like the lymphatics of the brain. They only work if you're laying down. The E is you have to eat at certain times, not three hours before bed, because your gut is turned off. Put the towels out, washed them, dried them, dishes are in the dishwasher, and the stomach says, closed. But most people don't listen at that, and what happens is they push the food anyway in, and then it goes into your fat tissue, because your stomach is closed after a certain time. Enzymes are off, etc. So you have a cycle that is turned on with light in the eyes, and I'll come back to that later, turns on the orchestra of your genes, and then everything has its own cycle or compass, which flows throughout a 24-hour compass cycle. So the, the E, the second E, is your energy. You want to eat a good breakfast when you wake up, about an hour after, and after that, the other P for sleep is your parasympathetic. So you got to do the L-E-E-P at different times, but the S goes, goes from sympathetic, a turned-on cortisol, fight the tiger, you lay down, you start decreasing that, start working on your heart rate variability, becoming parasympathetic, rest and digest, turning on the vagus nerve so that you're more restful, and then you fall asleep as the temperature in the room cools, sleep in a cooler room with a light blanket, pull the covers up later, and then because you're Temperature must drop before you sleep, and it must rise when you wake up. It's a correlated oscillation between your temperature and your sleep. The two are directly correlated. Cool. So that cool piece, right, mm -hmm. that a lot of people are not really aware of. So let's look at that. And, and fascinating when you say that the temperature does rise right before, because I've had this experience of like being in a hotel room where the air conditioning is like so blasting and I'm cold and I'm bundled up in the sheets and I fall asleep easily. And then all of a sudden I get warm, right? And I'm like, did they turn the the thermometer off? Did they change it? But probably not. It was probably my body having an increase in temperature. Yes. Is that what you would perceive? That's interesting. I never thought of it that way before. I was like, why do all these hotels change their thermostat at like six in the morning? <laughs> it's weird. That's actually your wake sleep switch turning on, which is very complex, but your sleep switch turns on. And let's say a couple hundred things happen when you fall asleep right that second. 
lots of things happen. And then when you wake up, uh, your wake switch turns on. And again, another 600, 800 things happen. So sleep is extremely complex. But if we understand that, if we don't wake up well, what I asked my clients to do, which is what a neurologist suggested, one of the neurologists I work with, he said, what you want to do for your clients when they wake up, if they're a little fatigued and tired, get them to do some push-ups, some squats, or some Tai Chi as soon as they put their feet on the floor. And that boosts their cortisol up a little higher, and then that's getting the body ready for breakfast, et cetera. And people have said that that really, really helps. Interesting. So doing it first thing and it raising the cortisol, that's not like considered like a sympathetic stress to do it that way? You want your sympathetic to turn on because we you've want been it. parasympathetic all night. So now you want to get that sympathetic. Now, if you're over-sympathetic, it's not a good idea to do that. Because then you're going right, to be right, right. You know, <laughs> shooting way up there and you don't want that. But I like that idea because I like to exercise and and in warm climates, I like to get up in the morning and go out and exercise in the outdoors on the beach, right? at sunrise, whatever. And I love doing that. But when it's cooler in the morning, I don't want to get out of bed. Mm -hmm. And so getting up and doing the push-ups and the squats right away, that'll raise my temperature and it will get me awake more. So I love that idea. So I shouldn't do them right before bed then. Right, not before bed, because that increases <laughs> cortisol, and then that decreases your melatonin. Okay, got it. Yeah, I, I set this alarm on my phone that says, do your push-ups, do your squats. Yeah. And most of the time, I get them done during the day. The other night, I finally laid down in bed, and the thing came up and said, you haven't finished your push-ups today. Uh-huh. And I made the wise decision, I guess, to say, nope, I can't do it now. It's bedtime, and went to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. All right, good now, job. there's something okay. with awake, the wake, when you wake up in the morning, So many things happen, and they say wake up immediately and get out of bed because waking up is more important because it sets the whole generation for the rest of the day. Wake up and get light in your eyes. When I wrote my book, The Eight Powers of DNA, I forgot one, and that's light because not until 2021 was light really explained as the thing that goes through your eyes in the morning like the horizon, when the sun is at the horizon, goes into your eyes and wakes you up slowly. And you need that light, particularly through the winter months, if the sun is at a lower rotation, or if you're in Alaska or some other country, Canada, etc. And if that light's not there, then you use another light of 10,000 lumens to boost your eyes and get that suprachiasmic nucleus in the back of the brain, pinpoints of 20,000 neurons each, that then will signal and turn on the rest of the body's correlation, oscillations to get you up and start your day in a compass way. Different things happening, different times, according to what the body needs. Wake up, get out of bed is the point. Okay. Can you sit back down or lay back down to meditate after that? Yes, you can. But what they're saying is you wake up and go back to sleep, you wake up more tired. Because you yeah. go back into the REM sleep, and that's not the best thing. Okay. Yeah. I found that too to be if I wake up early and go, oh, I don't have to get up now, and I go back to sleep, then when I do wake up later, I'm more tired than I was originally. We don't want you tired. No, 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 no. I don't want to be tired. <laughs> I don't <laughs> like that. 
I don't like that feeling. It's not a good feeling. Okay. So we've covered a lot of ground here. We talked about this superchiasmic nucleus, and we've talked about the astrocytes and the glial cells, and we talked about the gut and the microbiome. So let's put this together. Like, let's look at, well, let, let me, before we put it together, I want you to say something about the circadian genes. Sure. There's about 10 to 15 circadian genes, and I'm finding that they are the tipping point to diabetes, to heart disease, and many other illnesses. Bipolar, it goes on and on and on. Cardiovascular illness, Alzheimer's, et cetera. So if they are the tipping point, we need to take care of our circadian genes. And most people don't know what they are. So one of them is your CLOCK, the clock gene. It's a major one, not the major ones. I would say it's the second major one. And the L means locomotion. And the K in clock means kaput. So if your clock gene is lower functioning or you have a SNP in it, which would be like a, instead of a minus minus, it's a plus minus or a plus plus lower functioning, maybe 10 or 60% functioning, then going to end up with some locomotion kaput. It like tells you in the gene. (laughs) But your BMAL, which is also ARNTL, the BMAL is brain muscle. And that gene sets the rhythm for the entire body and what I call its Elvis rhythm. So it's the Elvis rhythm that sets the rhythm for the body. So if you've got a lot of rhythm in your life, your BMAL gene is really good and you want a lot of rhythm in life. Mm. Then you've got the PER2 gene, which is a sad disease gene. Behind the sad disease is heart disease. Behind the heart disease is dementia. Behind dementia is Alzheimer's. And that is from protein folding that happens when you don't get enough light in your eyes. And I had a client who was 58 years old. He'd been sick for years, started the light, and within two weeks, he got back to me and said he's never felt better. That light makes a huge difference because it turns on wellness, it turns on your compass so that it can rotate in equal proportions to the geometric, the the geographic location of the sun, And we need that. We've got to follow our geographical principles. And if we're not doing that, then our sleep is going to be in chaos, which results in... I want to step back to that light thing, then, because I want to make sure everybody's really clear on what we should be advising people in terms of the light. I've talked to people about going outside and putting your facing in the direction of the sun, like within five minutes of getting up. Is that what you recommend? That's the olden days? That's good. Good in the summer, but if you notice the rotation of the earth, particularly on the east coast, the uh, sun goes down earlier throughout the winter. In fact, three minutes a day now, we're losing of light, and the light of the sun is not going to help. And you don't want to look at it when it's high noon because that's 100,000 international units of light. that's, That's not good. That could cause blindness. So I suggest using the light, particularly starting early fall all through the year, unless you are more towards the equator. But that light goes about two feet from you to the side. You're not staring at it and you don't have glasses on. You're using your computer. You can be exercising. You could be making breakfast. You can do a lot of things watching that light. And people find it extremely helpful, more energy. I'm working right now with a group of people who have nocturia, getting up to urinate throughout the night too many times. And the research is just starting to show that light may be helpful rather than getting their shots of hormones to help different parts of the kidney function at the right time. 
It's we're using light to get your circadian genes in that compass with the geophysical properties of the earth and things hopefully are going to start turning around. We don't know yet. We're just trying it. Experimenting with it. So with the light, so let's get down to practicals, right? We're health practitioners. We have people, they're coming in. We want to advise them, not just people who are having sleep disturbances, but in general, who want to have a healthy brain and healthy gut, we want to make sure that they're optimizing their function. So you're saying that in the summer, how much light, how much exposure should they be getting when they first get up? Much as they can. So even half an hour, hour. 15 minutes, 15 minutes is good, but uh, because a lot of people, you know, they have to get to work, et cetera, but right, exactly. um, get out there and get that sun. Okay. So getting out there and maybe doing some yoga or doing push-ups or doing some mm-hmm. exercise or going for a walk yes. is a good way to do it. Walking and, the dog. And your okay. pets need it too. That's right. The pets need it too. So walking the dog's a good idea. Mm-hmm. So then in terms of the light, is this just any, there's a lot of different lights on the market that are supposedly full spectrum lights that they recommend for people with SAD, seasonal affective disorder. So is that similar to that? Are there particular ones that we should talk about? We use the North Star light, the North Star out of Alaska. And that is because the research was done on mice. And these groups of researchers gave a couple of mice, about three mice, a heart attack. And then they put them in their wheelies, the circle that they go around. And within about five days, I think five or 10 days, the heart started healing and is healed without medication. And Mm. through this very deep article, they finally said at the end, this should be in every cardiac unit in every single hospital. And again, we are seeing that it's coming in now. And that's very important because your PER2 gene is the one that stimulates cardiac problems and also SAD disease. So yes, it'll turn that gene on and start getting all the compass to compass rocking and rolling them. And that's what you want. So in specifics, so how long after someone's up, should they start to expose themselves to that light? And then how long, you know, of an exposure is, you know, the minimum and then the optimal? We'd like about 30 minutes to start working with the body. For people who are having very difficult problems, for instance, Parkinson's and some of those illnesses that and Alzheimer's dementia that are turning off your day genes and making you sleep all day start early in the morning get that on for about an hour do whatever you can to keep the person in front of it keep yourself in front of it the longer time is for more illness the lesser time is for somebody who's healthy that wants to maintain that health 30 minutes with the light on the side while you're exercising etc even eating breakfast Okay. Okay. So it's not important that it be immediately upon waking up. But not immediately, pretty... but soon. But you have to watch soon. people that are bipolar. Bipolar may have a reverse reaction and get too much cortisol and other things happening. So there's some research finally coming out on using bipolar light three times, three different times. And I don't know those times with people that are bipolar. So we see that so light can do a lot. Yeah, that's amazing. It's amazing the power of some of these things that are so simple and easy to do. And people are spending years, even decades, trying to get good sleep and taking all kinds of medications and herbs and, and some of the basic stuff like light is, is just, it's just fascinating. 
so I interrupted you while you were talking about the, the genes, right? So you mentioned the clock gene, the BMAL, the PERT2. Are there any others that we should be aware of? And another question is, where are you finding these genes? Are they in 23andMe? I know you use Opus 23 to get your reports. For those who are not using that, is this, uh, can we look up in the raw data on 23andMe to find these? So just, yeah, give us a little bit more on the, on the genes. Okay, there is the MTR1NB, and that is a melatonin gene. And there's a one and two in those, and those turn on your melatonin at certain times. It has to go through the AA. NAT, which is a, another gene that actually is more in control of melatonin. What we know from that is if you're low functioning and you take melatonin with those genes, you can become a diabetic. Some people are doing it low, low amounts and they're finding that they can manage that okay. There's a couple of other genes, but those are the main ones. The CRY, which is a cryptocone gene, has many other illnesses associated with it, but I really like the BMAL because of the motion, the CL clock because of locomotion. The GSMKB, I believe it is, is a bipolar gene. And it's all if it's all the way across, you most likely are bipolar. If it's got like a quarter of an eighth of an inch that is still functioning, you usually have a cousin that is bipolar. But it's also a Parkinson and a neurological gene. It is the lithium target for, for bipolar medication. Now, to get your genes, I suggest that you use your 23andMe, and I have not gone into the raw data to see if these genes are there, but they must be. because well, they must when be I op- if Opus picks it up, right? Yeah, because uh, when I use Opus, it picks it up, yes. Yeah, 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 okay. And and it's even people who are getting the recent 23andMe, because like I got mine done t- 2014, and they still had the complete set, and now they've cut a lot out. Yes. The only one they don't have is the P, I think it's KKD or something like that. It has to do with the phosphorylation of putting a, an active phosphate onto B6, which goes into your neurohormones, and that's the one they don't have. But other than that, they have a pretty good set of your circadian genes. They've pretty much taken out the MAOA yeah. uh, maybe in the last two years, Yep. which is a very good focus, OCD gene. Yeah also can be important in pandas. Yep. Yep. Yeah. They've taken out a bunch of that in the uh, GAD, or they only report on one of those instead of the variety. Anyway, so you still feel like 23andMe can get that. Opus is a really great, it's a great thing to look into as a practitioner. There's a course that you can take that they'll teach you how to do it. I took the class, but I didn't do their case studies that they sent me because I got busy and I really want to do that because they won't let you use the software until you actually pass their course. And Anne is a whiz at, at going through that. I'm fascinated by all the great information. So if you're really into genes, that's something to look at into Opus 23. And we can put links on the show notes page. There's one, one, oh, I had a question that came up as you were talking about the light is you talked about it healing the heart. Is it any research on it working with post-surgical, like people who are having hip replacements or tonsillectomies or whatever kind of surgeries they may have? It does the uh, light tend to have that same healing properties as it does on the heart? Haven't seen any research on that, but to take a step further, what I do is a pre-surgical train like an athlete, for, an Olympic athlete for surgery. 
Mm. And my clients that go through that program have gone through like a mastectomy and they get out of bed right away. They actually wake up in the recovery room and they're walking around, which is unheard of. That's great. Because we've strengthened their muscles. We've given them nutrition. We know how to help them get out of bed. We have their family bring in food, never eat the hospital food. Oh, no. Because <laughs> you want your own home cooked food. And we build a support team around them. Yeah. And that's one of the big things that we're carrying through in our program on the circadian compass is keeping the group of people as a support group. And they're going to, we're going to continue every two weeks oh, nice. to gain our support group because my brand is to become an architect of the community. And as that, we want the people that we train to become an architect of their community, teach the store what they need to the organic foods they need. And you teach your family what you need to go to sleep consistently at certain times. All of these little things, it's a habit and it takes time and we build a roadmap and develop skills and then we want people to teach that. That's awesome. And we'll have all your links to Anne's wildheartwellness.com is one way to reach her, but we'll have links on the show notes page to whatever she gives us to put there in terms of resources and how you can reach her and all that. But I do have one other question, which comes up a lot. So many people are using Aura Rings or Fitbits or whatever to determine their percentages of deep sleep and REM sleep and all that. And what do you say to folks who they seem to be seem to be sleeping okay, right? They get go in bed and they're able to sleep long stretches, six and a half to eight hours, but they're not getting a lot of deep. Are there things that we can get help people to lengthen their deep sleep? Sure. Very first thing is to get to sleep before midnight because your deep sleep happens almost immediately within about five or 10 minutes after you fall asleep, you go into the deep sympathetic healing sleep lasts about 20 minutes. You go through another round, maybe at 11 o'clock and then at midnight, it starts slowing down. So if you get to bed at midnight, you are basically missing your deep sleep and you are getting more REM sleep. And this is not helpful because you only heal in the parasympathetic mode when you're in deep sleep. So in 20 minutes is a short time for the brain to prune its neurons, get rid of beta amyloid, heal the gut, boost your muscles, get the glucose out of the muscles, do all these kinds of things. That's a very short time. Repair your memory, put your memories in another file that you don't need, throw them away, get your location and your motion ones, your GPS working so that those rocks that you walk around during the morning, you can know exactly where they are the next morning. They run it forward and believe it or not, they run it backwards in your brain. That's kind of an interesting thought in learning to study. The brain does that by itself. All these things in 20 minutes and 20 minutes and then less and less and less through the night. Wow. That is incredible. Get to bed by 10. Get to bed by 10. That's the tip. Okay. <laughs> I like it. I like it. You know, it's interesting you say that. I'm, I'm just an anomaly sometimes, but on the rare nights anymore that I do stay up late, I fall asleep, you know, say I stay up till two or three in the morning. I find that my, my total sleep is shorter, might be four hours. But my deep sleep is still the almost two hours to almost two to three hours. Like, mm -hmm. it's like I get into that deep sleep right away. And I don't know if it's just, if it really is, or if it's just an error or an artifact on the ring that picks that up. But I found that interesting. Whereas my husband doesn't do it at all. I mean, he gets very little deep sleep. He gets like 30 minutes or less deep sleep every night. Okay. And I'm not really happy with the rings or with any electronic device at this time Yeah, that measures sleep. I think the best one is the mirror. 
So I say, when you wake up in the morning, you say, say, oh, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? And if it comes back and says, well, certainly not you because you didn't sleep at all, <laughs> then you know that maybe your ring is not accurate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's electronic thing and it's just doing it off the pulse on your finger. So it's kind of, to yeah. me, you know, it's something, right? It's something. It's a, it's, keep, it's a gauge and it actually is keeping a lot of people more honest with themselves because right for me it is like oh my god I just had six and a half hours two nights in a row and I'm like oh that's not right I got to get back up to my seven and a half to eight okay this is good stuff so I just so appreciate you and all the amazing research that you're doing and like I said you know go to wildheartwellness.com you can check in out but she'll, we'll put some note some specific resources on the show notes page and is there anything you want to leave people with these are like remember practitioners right what do you want to leave them with in terms of insights that they can use with their clients there is connect there's two things i want to have them to leave with first there's a connection between sleep loss mood insomnia inflammation and oxidative stress so there's some research on that, but it's just coming out. So we know insomnia is a certain amount of time that you wake and you cannot get back to sleep. But sleep loss is very similar, but it messes with your mood. It increases inflammation and oxidative stress, which would be like a rusty gate or an apricot that is just dehydrated. But this messes with your neurological system and your synapse loss. You get gut challenges. You get more and more mood challenges than you get neural decline. So all of those things are totally related. There is a difference between PTSD and insomnia. And the difference is a link between the glucocorticoid receptors that are really turned on in PTSD and produce more cortisol circling around. And you actually have poorer learning because of that. The prefrontal brain has less ability to learn because of all that cortisol. So that's just some instances, but I want to leave one other thing because it's easier to think of sleep when we think of something else. I'm heading to Turks and Caicos and I was, I'm very interested in coral and the colors of coral. There's research on coral that the microbiome in coral can be infected or it can, in higher temperature water, it can die. And this is not just specific one bacteria because a colony is what a coral is. It's a community. And it's just a beautiful example of what we want to do, build a community of healing microbes, build a community of healing metabolism, build a community of less symptoms, have a community that is active and aging well so that we can all enjoy each other longer. Thank you. Wow. Thank you so much, Anne. This is fascinating. Really appreciate you being here. And for all of you listeners, you're really getting that sleep is critical. And the more you understand sleep and empowering people to use the power of food, habits, light, dark, temperature, and, and their whole metabolism changes. And that's going to be the results you're going to get with people are going to improve and people are going to refer people to you. Your practice is going to thrive. And that's what we're, that's what we're here for, right? Is to really, truly help people 
to feel good, to be in a help, healthy, happy world together because healthy, happy people don't fight. So what you're doing is contributing to world peace. So work with people on making sure you get their sleep. Don't overlook it. Don't jump right into symptom control and what herb helps this or that. Just really work on the basics of sleep with everybody that you see. And we have a a resource guide for you to go to reinventhealthcare.com forward slash sleep. And I'm going to add some of the resources from Anne into that sleep guide. So until next time, shine on. Thank you for listening to the reinvent healthcare podcast. Join the movement of practitioners that are guiding people to actually get well rather than covering up their symptoms. Connect with us at reinventhealthcare.com to access resources and tools that will empower you to create a thriving health practice.